All right, so we are finding ourselves again in the book of Matthew. So I would encourage you all to open up to Matthew chapter 13 uh, and open up or look on your app. But here we go, Matthew 13, 44 through 58 is where we're going to be. Again, Matthew 13, 44 through 58. Uh, so as we always do, we're just going to quickly run through a little bit of review to remember where we've been in the book of Matthew, just an overall view, a, a, a flyover, if you will. Uh, book of Matthew, so far we've seen the general theme comes out that the book of Matthew, Jesus brings the heavenly kingdom to earth. This has been seen over and over again, chapter by chapter, really verse by verse, story by story, parable by parable, and we've seen it come out as, as Jesus continues to expose and to show that the kingdom of heaven indeed is here, and it's time now for his followers to be part of this new heavenly kingdom, to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom that is being brought by Jesus. So throughout the book, we've seen Jesus teaching it many times, and he's teaching about the heavenly kingdom and what it means to live in the heavenly kingdom. We've also seen him show that his, he has authority in this new kingdom over everything. He's shown that through miracles and through casting out demons. He's shown that through signs and wonders that the people are just amazed by. And all the time, teaching and then showing. And that's what we see Jesus doing throughout the book of Matthew. Most recently, we've been seeing that Jesus has been teaching through parables. And that'll be today. It'll continue. Jesus continues to teach about the kingdom through parables. So Pastor Justin has been taking several weeks now to introduce us to the parables of Jesus as we see them in the book of Matthew. And we see that Jesus uses parables in, in a way in which uh, it'll hide the truth from some and reveal the truth to others. For those who will seek the truth, they will find it. And we've been watching Jesus use these parables as a way of speaking about truth by using uh, these figures of speech in some ways by using these stories to communicate truth that his disciples then are following up and asking and finding out what exactly these are all about. And so again, as we've been looking at these set of parables here, specifically in chapter 13, they all do connect with one another. They're not all put here uh, in one chapter just for uh, just because that they all have a general idea that binds them together. And we're going to see that Jesus, through these kingdom parables, is going to be teaching not only the crowds, but today, more specifically, be teaching his disciples, those who are seeking him and seeking truth. And he's going to give them more parables to help them understand what the kingdom of heaven is really like. And so that's what we're going to look at today, that Jesus continues to teach through parables. So we have four parables, some would say only three, so maybe the fourth one's a parable. In any case, it's a figure of speech that Jesus uses. We're going to call it a parable today. Four parables that we're going to look at today, and then we're going to look at the end of chapter 13, and it's going to show us that after the parables are over, that indeed what Jesus says, and this is going to be a, this is a spoiler to the end of the sermon, but Jesus is basically going to remind us, again, that we've already seen this happen, but that some people are going to reject him while some people are going to receive him. And it's not going to, he's not going to be received by all, but indeed he will be rejected. And we'll see that at the end of chapter 13 today as we look at what Jesus is going to be teaching and then what happens to him as he goes home. And that's going to be an interesting talk as we go there. But to get there, we still need to be looking at our parables. Uh, we're going to start in verse 44. So right now what we're going to do is just read through this passage. We're going to read Matthew 13, 44 through 58. So if you just join along with me as I read, we'll see what's going on here in Matthew chapter 13. Again, starting in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has 
and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil. The the carpenter's son is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So let's unpack this. We're going to kind of go through this fairly quickly. I I would say, as I've studied this week, these parables, uh, they're not extremely complicated to understand what the point is Jesus is trying to make. There's lots of people that try to make these more complicated than they need to be, but I do not believe we do. I believe Jesus is using these parables as he's talking to his disciples to to re-strengthen what they've already heard from the other parables that we've already been hearing about in chapter 13. It's a way to bring those themes and those truths back up to his disciples to make sure they're actually getting what he's saying. And that's what we see happen here in these couple of parables. So parable number one is the parable of hidden treasure, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and it's found in the ground. A treasure is found in the ground and sees, finds that there is this treasure. And of course, like any of us, if we find a, if we were to walk out of our doors today and find a treasure out in our yard somewhere, and by the way, the church gets it, you don't. But anyway, if we were to find a treasure, like, wouldn't that be exciting? Like, I, I, I remember when I was, uh, Early teenager, I went up to Darien Lake. We were at Kingdom Bound, and friend and my friend and I were walking around. And I remember that we found a twenty-dollar bill. Now, for us, that was a big deal. Like we didn't really have our own money, so we found a twenty-dollar bill sitting on the ground, all alone, nobody around it. And we grabbed that twenty-dollar bill, and both of us were like jumping up and down. We're like, we each get ten bucks. Like, let's go to the arcade. Let's do this. And then my friend, who was better than I, I guess, said we should probably turn it in. So we took it to turn it in. And the security guard looked at us and laughed, and he said, thank you for being honest, but nobody's going to claim this money. It's yours to keep. So we got to keep the money, and I'll tell you what, that was fun. We went, we played games, we, we, you know, we, we just went out and lived it up, you know, we got to play like two games. That was about it. But it doesn't matter. 20 bucks to us was everything. But that's, I mean, that's something small. Like, I mean, he's a teenager finding 20 bucks on the ground to use for fun. But like, this is so much bigger. I mean, this, this, this treasure that is found is a treasure that what we're going to find out just next is that it's worth giving up everything for. It's worth selling everything else, getting rid of all your possessions just so you can afford to buy this because it would be that much better to have this treasure. It would be that much, even if it meant giving up all that you already owned, to gain this treasure was going to bring such joy that he was willing to do that. And that's what we see at the end of this parable. Not only is the treasure is found and the man is filled with joy, but the man gives up everything to own the field and the treasure in it. Indeed, as Jesus talks about the kingdom, he is pointing out the idea and the fact that the kingdom is worth everything. Basically, there is a comparison if you think about it. It's the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of the sun. It's the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of the world. And he's saying, if you give up the kingdom of the world, you're going to get an even greater treasure. You're going to get an even greater kingdom. And so the idea here is like, be willing to give up whatever it takes to get what is that much better. 
Now, we don't want to miss this, and I'm gonna, I'll say something more because we're going to get to the priceless pearl. Very similar message that Jesus is going to give. But right now, let's just understand the key features here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that brings joy, that should, that should be so joyous and so worth it that we will give up everything that we own or give up the kingdom of this world to be part of the kingdom of heaven. That is what Jesus starts by saying in this first parable of the hidden treasure. Parable number two is very similar. We see uh, it's most of the time called the pearl of great price. It's about a priceless pearl, verses 45 and 46. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in, <clears throat> in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, Jesus is drawing this same principle out of this next parable. We see that a merchant is searching for pearls. There's a merchant that is looking for something precious. Now, there is a difference here between the first and the second one. And some people have tried to make a really big deal about it. Others, just a small deal. And I think I'm just going to point it out. But the first one, the guy just kind of comes across it. The second one, this guy's looking for it. I think there might be something to be said that there are people that are not looking for the kingdom of heaven, but yet... Through God's grace, they find it. There are some that might be searching for it, and maybe they're even searching for it in all the wrong places, but God's grace still allows them to end up finding the kingdom of heaven. So maybe this might be the difference between Gentiles and Jews. You know, you got the Gentiles who don't really care about the Messiah. They're just living their life, but then Jesus is going to save them. Uh, versus maybe the Jews who are who have been looking for the Messiah, who have been looking for the kingdom to come. They just don't understand what it's going to look like until Jesus comes. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I'll just leave it there. So priceless, priceless pearl, though, we see that the merchant is searching for pearls. But then really the point of this is we see that this merchant finds a pearl of great value. A pearl of great value. This, this idea of great value is not just like, oh, it's a little more uh, expensive than normal pearls. No, this is like, this is the holy grail. This is the thing you've been looking for for all your life. This is, this is going to set you up for life. It is a treasure that will never fade away in this world. Like that's, what he's, that's how great of a price this pearl is worth. And so the merchant finds it. Now, it doesn't say the merchant is joyful, but come on. Like, uh, if we were searching for something like this and found it, of course. I've heard stories of men who have found hidden treasures that are like in ships that have been sunk at the bottom of the ocean. And when you, you hear their interviews, they're just so full of joy. Same idea as even the first one. I think we can make that connection. And again, the key element here we see that connects both of these. The merchant sells everything to buy the pearl. The merchant sells everything to buy the pearl. He is willing to sell everything he has to, to achieve and to receive this pearl. Uh, here we see it says he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So he finds this great pearl. He finds it. It's, it doesn't seem like it has much cost, or it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to find this pearl, but he does find it, and then he gives up everything in order to buy it. The idea is this pearl is worth everything else. It's worth more than everything else. It's worth more than the kingdom of this world. The pearl is the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples. That the disciples need to understand that the kingdom of this world is nothing compared to the kingdom of heaven. And that it's worth giving up anything and everything in order to be part of the kingdom of heaven. I made a mistake when I was... uh, I don't know how old I was. I was in college, I believe. Uh... Talking about giving up everything for something, like if you don't give up everything for something and then you don't receive it, it's, it's going to bring sorrow, which is where I'm going to bring us next in the third parable. 
There is sorrow to those who don't give up everything to receive a treasure. Like if those two, if the man finding the treasure decided, oh, I know it's a lot of treasure, but it's not worth all the work it's going to take to sell all my stuff, then he would have never had that treasure. If the merchant would have said, no, 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 that pearl is too expensive for me to buy. I'm just going to settle for the little pearls. That's fine. It would have never, he would have never received the great pearl that would have set him for life. And so I have a quick story, personal story that I will tell of this. Now, this is really simple, really simple, but it has nothing, it's so much more that we're going to talk about in a moment. But I remember there was a time I went to a hockey game in Buffalo and uh, I, I, okay, I will say I bought a 50-50 ticket. If that offends you, I'm sorry, but it was for charity. It was for charity. Okay, but uh, so they had a 50-50. I know I might get fired after this, but okay, so we've got, they had a 50-50 raffle and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to spend a lot of money on this, but you know what? Sure. I'll support the charity. I'll do what I need to do. So I reached in my wallet and I had a $5 bill and I had $2 bills. Now here at the time, 50-50s were either you could get one ticket for $2 or you could get uh, 10 tickets for $5. And so what I did is I looked at what I had and I thought, okay, I could either, I mean, I could get 11 tickets total or I could just give the five and I would get 10 tickets or I could just give the two and get one ticket. So I had this decision to make. Was I going to give up all my cash, some of my cash or just a little bit of my cash? Now, I decided at that moment, listen, hey, God's in control of everything. So if I'm going to win the 50-50, then if I buy one ticket, it'll happen. If I buy, it won't matter if I have 10, just one will be enough. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So I only bought one ticket for $2. Fast forward to the third period of the, of the hockey game. They show the number on the score for $9,000. The winner of the 50-50 is this number of ticket. I looked at my ticket. And it was only four numbers away from the winning ticket. To this day, had I given up even my five, not even have all my seven, I could have saved my $2, but I would have won $9,000. Biggest regret of my life. Probably should never play 50-50 again. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was God's judgment. I don't think so. I know that's a silly story, but I remember the feeling, the pit of my stomach was like turning over. I was so mad. I was so upset. I was so sorrowful, which is going to play into what we're going to see next happening in our parables today. That was just a little glimpse of what missing out on the treasure, missing out on the pearl, missing out on the kingdom of heaven would be like. So let's look at parable number three, the fishing net. Fishing net parable starting in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. So let's look at a few of these things that we that come out, and then we're going to see what the overall point of this parable is. First thing is that there is a net cast into the sea. There is a net cast into the sea. Uh, this is, again, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. This is God's net going out to, to bring in all kinds of fish, which is our next point. Fish of all kinds are caught. All kinds of fish are caught. The gospel, if we're thinking about the net as the gospel, the gospel goes to all people. Okay, doesn't matter what their social status is, doesn't matter their nationality. We know this through scripture that Jesus is bringing together all people of all tribes, all languages, all, uh, all people groups are coming together through the gospel. And as the net is cast out, this, this is, by the way, this whole parable is going to be very much parallel uh, to the parable of the weeds. Remember the wheat and the weeds that were growing and they were growing together. And the idea was the gospel was growing in the midst of the world and the wheat and the weeds were growing together, but at one day they would be separated. That was the point of the wheat and the weeds. And now this same idea is happening only with a fishing metaphor. 
Perhaps Jesus is using fishing because he knows most, a lot of his disciples either were fishermen or at least knew what the fishing industry was like. And so he says, basically, the kingdom, it's, the net is coming. It's gathering all the people. It's going out. The gospel is going out to gather people. And, and as it does, all types of people, all kinds of people, just like all kinds of fish are caught. Then he goes on quickly, and I really think this is his main point, is that when men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw away the bad. One fish, two fish, bad fish, good fish. So what they're doing here is they're separating the bad from the good. Now this should remind us of the wheat and the weeds, right? The wheat is kept and the weeds are burned. The same idea is happening here in the parable of the net. The net has caught all of these fish. The gospel has gone out to everyone, but not everyone's going to receive. There are still going to be bad fish in this net. And that would happen in fishing society as well. A lot of times, this type of net that was used, this wasn't just a small net that's being talked about. This would be a net that would be hooked to two different boats and dragged along the bottom to grab everything and anything. Didn't matter if it was dead, diseased, uh, too big, too small, didn't matter. They got all the fish that they would get in this net. And then, at the end, they would go through the net and they would throw away the bad fish and keep the good fish and sell it in the market. So Jesus, again, is pointing out that this is going to happen. Uh, in a real way, he's using this parable to show, but the fish are sorted, bad ones are discarded. Now again, think about all the parables we've already seen. It goes to understand, when Jesus talks about good fish, who are the good fish? Well, we've got to ask that question. Well, let's go back in context and look at the other parables. Okay, the good fish is going to be parallel to the wheat, and the, and the good fish is going to be parallel all the way back to the beginning of chapter 13, the good soil. And who are the people who are good soil? The ones who listen to God's word and put it into practice. That's what we see through the parable of the sower. We see that the good soil hears the word, understands it, bears fruit, yields. That, that's the idea. Remember, going back to that, someone who hears God's word, it embraces it, receives it, and then bears fruit. So the same idea is here about the good fish. The good fish will be a fish that is going to be good for eating, a fish that will be good for the market. And so the wheat and the good soil, good fish. They all go together. Jesus is carrying on this parallelism. So who, is the, who are the good fish? Well, it's those who are the good soil, the ones who listen to God and embrace it and receive it and bear fruit. That is the good soil. That is the good fish. And who are the bad fish? Well, that would be all the other soils that heard the word of God that were rejected it. So really, good fish receive, bad fish reject. The bad fish are like the weeds that need to be burned. The bad fish are like the bad soil that reject the word of God. And so we see here, good fish, bad fish. Bad fish is removed, good fish is kept. And then Jesus explains this. I don't think he needed to, but I think he just wanted to make it a really strong point here. He says, so... What I'm saying is this, it'll be at the end of the age. Angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not the first time Jesus says something like this. He said this back with the weeds and the wheat. When the weeds are burned, they're sent into the fiery furnace. And now we're talking about this idea again of weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you remember Justin talking about this a few weeks ago, this gnashing of teeth is anger. Obviously, weeping is just de the depth of sorrow. And so really what Jesus is saying at the end of time, 
the, the good fish, the good soil, the wheat, the ones who have listened to God, put it into practice, who have received Jesus, who have received him and his word and bear, and they bear fruit. Those are the ones that are going to be separated to the good. They're going to be separated to good and they're not going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. But those who reject the message of Jesus, those who reject him are going to be thrown into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Worst sorrow you will ever experience. The worst anger that you will ever experience. I'll tell you what, when I missed out on that 50-50, I was angry and I was sad all at the same time. And it ruined the rest of my day. It actually ruined like the rest of my week. I still talk about it, so maybe it ruined my life. But the point is... <laughs> but the point is, though, that was just a little, gl- little teeny bit of sorrow and anger. This is going to be the type of sorrow and anger that just eats you alive. And maybe you've been there before. I mean, just think about it. What are the worst feelings to feel? A sorrow that won't go away. An anger that can't be soothed. And that is what people are going to have as they are so sorrowful about the fact that they have missed out on the kingdom of heaven and yet at the same time angry at God for what he's done. This is the future for those who reject him. An eternity of utter sorrow and utter anger and destruction. That is what they're facing. And so Jesus says, judgment is coming. Jesus' explanation, Judgment Day, is coming. So the title of our sermon today was Finders Keepers, Losers Weepers. Maybe we've heard that before. Really annoying when people find something of yours and they think they can keep it. But in these first two parables, we see finders keepers. If you find the kingdom, you keep life and goodness and all the things that God promises. But here we see... Losers, weepers, those who lose the kingdom because they're not willing to follow Jesus, to receive his word, to bear fruit, to give up anything it costs to be part of the kingdom, then there will be, they will be weepers. They will be destroyed in the worst sense of the way of the word. Not that they'll be destroyed physically, they'll still be a present, but they'll be weeping. They'll be gnashing their teeth. It's not a place anyone or anyone, anyone should be or want anyone to be. So keep that in mind as we continue with Jesus' parables. Remember, there's, a, there's good, encouraging things, but there's also warnings. And Jesus here is using a warning. And so, so far we've seen, yes, there are finders and keepers, there are losers and weepers in the first three parables. And now parable number four. Parable number four uh, doesn't seem to necessarily go along with all the other things, except that it does talk about treasure. But So we're going to look at it and see how it might connect. The next parable is the master of the house parable. That's what we're going to call it. The master of the house parable. Different people call it different things. Verses 51 and 52. Have you understood all these things? He asked his disciples. And they say to him, yes. Now this is a miracle, right? Up to this point, they haven't understood a thing. But at least at the very least, they think they understand what he's saying. Maybe they don't fully understand it. But I think by now they're starting to get the gist. Right? I mean, he's, he's already explained to them what the parable of the sower is about and the weeds and the wheat and how it's all going to work. And now he says these other parables. And like I said, I think they're just more parables to reinforce what he's already said. And I think he's kind of saying, okay, disciples, get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. We're going to repeat, repeat, repeat. And I think they're starting at least to get it. So then he says, therefore, every scribe who has been trained in the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. There's some debate on exactly what all this is about, but I think there's some simple things we can take apart here. I think, first of all, we see the disciples are the ones that are being compared to as being, or the disciples are being called scribes of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what a scribe's job was is pretty simple. 
They would learn God's word and they would repeat God's word. They would learn and then teach or they would read and then copy either way, whether they were doing it in paper or doing it through oral, uh, through oral speech. Either way, what would happen is they would have, they would listen and learn and know the stuff and then they would trans, transmit it to others. And so the disciples are being given that same, uh, that same mission, right? They're learning from Jesus. Not so they can just hold on to it and be like, oh, this is great, but so that they can one day teach others. And so the scribes can take what they're learning, so the disciples can take what they're learning and then pass it on to others, and that's going to come out as well at the end of this parable. And then he says that these scribes, these disciples, are like masters of the house. Like masters of the house. Someone who owns a house and owns treasure. In just a moment, we're going to see this This master of a house has a treasure within the house. And so they, they're in the house. They have the treasure in the house. Perhaps this is a reference to the fact that Jesus is going to be leaving at some point and they're going to carry on uh, bringing the treasure of the new kingdom to this world. They're going to, bring, they're going to carry on the heavenly kingdom uh, through what Jesus has taught them as they, as they go forward, as they teach what Jesus taught and they do what Jesus did and they walk as Jesus walked. That's going to happen. So there's a good possibility that this might even be foreshadowing that. But the idea here is... It's a master of the house that owns all the treasure, that has the treasure. Somebody who is already in the kingdom of heaven. Somebody who is in the kingdom of heaven has that treasure that we talked about earlier. And then we see what does the masters, what do the masters of the house do? Well, they bring out all the treasure. They bring out all the treasure. See what they do here. It's like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. The treasure isn't just to be hoarded within the house to kept, to be kept for themselves, but a this is, they're saying, he's saying the scribe of, the scribes of the disciples, the disciples who are scribes, would be masters of the house that would be bringing out all the treasure. They'd be sharing it with others. People would see it and experience it and know the treasure. And the treasure would be shared to those who are watching, not just kept and held onto and hoarded. And not only are they going to be sharing the new treasure, just what Jesus taught, but really what they're doing, this old and new is most likely, as we look at this, an idea that it's you're going to be bringing out the treasure of the Old Testament prophecies that now are being fulfilled in the New Testament Jesus. And so we're seeing that the old and the new come together here, that the treasure of the kingdom of heaven that's been promised throughout all the Old Testament has now come through Jesus. It's already been taught to us through the book of Matthew, and now it's being seen again as Jesus gives this parable to his disciples. And so, again, we see that as masters of the house, they would have the treasure as part of the kingdom of heaven, and they would share it with others. And so I think Jesus, again, wants to make it very clear that this treasure of the kingdom of heaven is not just for us four and no more. It is for anyone of any type of people, going back to the fish, that will receive the gospel of Jesus, becomes part of the heavenly kingdom. The good soil, the good fish, the wheat, those who listen to Jesus receive his word and bear fruit. But indeed, some will also reject him. So let's talk about this. In our, As we conclude, I'm going to use this last section in chapter 13 as part of our conclusion this morning. So when I say as we conclude, you know there's still some time left. Uh, so... Uh, so we're going to look at this. So first of all, what I want to say is after all of these parables, after all of this teaching, we have been taught through parables that there are going to be some people who are going to find the kingdom of heaven. There are going to be some people who are going to receive Jesus, receive his word and bear fruit. There are going to be good fish. There are going to be good soils. There is going to be wheat, but there is also going to be bad fish. 
bad weeds, bad soil, people who reject the words of Jesus and who will be subjected to eternal torment through weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. That is what we've seen so far. And so Jesus has shown that through the parables and now we see a personal example in his very own life as Jesus says, not only is he going to teach this, he's going to live it out. And Jesus lives out what he's basically just been saying. Because yes, his disciples who he's talking to have been the ones who have received his word. Those are the one, they're the ones that are part of the good soil. They are the good fish. They are wheat. But now we're going to be seeing the, some weeds. We're going to be seeing some bad fish. We're going to be seeing some bad soil. And so let's read the end of chapter 13 again, starting in verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and, com- and coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue. This would be Nazareth, by the way. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get his wisdom in these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all sisters with us? Are not all his sisters with us? And when then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he, didn't, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I won't take this apart too far other than to see what happens. Jesus, after he shares these parables, goes to Nazareth. And there he starts teaching in the synagogue as he's been everywhere else. Up to this point, we've seen a lot of people who have received Jesus. The good fish, we've seen good soil. And now we see the bad fish, the bad soil that's here. In his very own hometown, he goes back, he teaches... We're understanding that he's doing mighty works as well, at least at the beginning, because they're, they're saying, where is this man from, or where does this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? So he's doing something. He's teaching and showing the kingdom of heaven. What he's been doing throughout the whole book of Matthew, he's doing it here. And so as Jesus is teaching them, we would think that his hometown, like these people, he knows these people. These are his friends, his family. This is where they're from. Surely they would receive his message, but indeed they don't. What we see instead is a rejection of Jesus and his teaching. Basically, what they end up saying here in all these questions is basically, hey, we know this guy. Like, we watched him grow up. There's nothing special about him. He's just an ordinary dude who has a carpenter's son. He doesn't really, there's nothing special about him. So there's something weird going on here. This can't be who, this, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be what he says he is. He can't be because we know him. We know him as a kid. We know him as a teenager. We, we, we just, we know his family. Like, look at all the, look at all his brothers and sisters. By the way, this is a point of obvious uh, support of the fact that Mary had other children. So like some people in Catholicism and other places will say she just only had Jesus and she was completely pure in every other way as far as uh, having kids. But no, she had kids because there's brothers, there's sisters, his family is there, his friends are there, people he knows, and they basically say, you can't be who you say you are because we know who you really are. Really, they, they're denying that he can be God because they know him as a man. They're missing out on the fact that Jesus was and is completely man, completely God all at the same time. And they're missing that and they're saying, look, look, we know, we know Jesus. There was nothing to be, there was nothing special about him. Uh, So I don't know what's going on, but it can't be because he's the Messiah. And they reject him. Possibly they might even be believing the Pharisees who at this point are starting to say that Jesus is doing these things out of the power of Satan. We don't know, but for whatever reason they are rejecting him. And mostly because they're looking at him and saying this, we know this guy. We know the family he's from. He's nothing. He's just ordinary. Keep in mind that in other places in Scripture, we see that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. That's, a, that's something that's said. So not only is he from Nazareth, which is already looked down upon, now he's looked down upon by the people in Nazareth. That's like the worst of the worst. Like he's being put down completely. 
And Jesus basically says, listen, just like the prophets of old, I'm not going to receive honor in my very own hometown. And that's what happened to the prophets. They were never received by Israel, which led to their destruction. And the same will be true of people who reject Jesus and what he's doing. And it says he did not do many money works there because of their unbelief. Now, let's not miss this. It doesn't mean Jesus couldn't. It means he chose not to. Because why give people signs if they're going to reject you? And he knows their rejection. And so he, he doesn't do the things he's been doing everywhere else because he is in the midst of bad soil. He is in the midst of bad fish. He's in the midst of weeds. And so he doesn't do the works that he's done because they won't believe the teaching. Why would he do the miracles? And that's the point. Remember, Jesus doesn't just do miracles for miracles' sake. He does miracles to show that he indeed is the Messiah and he teaches people how to follow him. So, we see here that there are some who will receive Jesus and some who will not, some who will reject him. Which will you be? Will you be the finder or will you be the loser? (laughs) Will you be the keeper or will you be the weeper? Will you be the good soil? Will you be the good fish? Will you be the wheat? Or will you be the weed or the bad soil or the bad fish? Really, all of us have a choice to make and who we're going to follow. If we're going to follow the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of Jesus. And remember, let's not forget that as we talk about this treasure that we've been talking about since the beginning, what is the treasure? What is the treasure that we have it's not just a, it's not a physical treasure. It's not the, the kingdom of heaven is not primarily just physical, although there will be a fulfillment of that. The consummation is coming to the physical kingdom of God. But right now in the heavenly kingdom, there is more to it than that. So what exactly is the treasure that we are to find and share? Some will reject it, but what is the treasure that we need to share, to find for ourselves and then share with the world? Well, let's look at Second Corinthians chapter four, verses five through seven should be up on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 through 7. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let, let, shine, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In 2 Corinthians, we see this treasure. What is the treasure that is in jars of clay? Well, it goes back to what we just read. It is, the, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord, that we serve him, that he brings light out of the darkness, that he has shown in our hearts, that he gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through the face of Jesus. Jesus brings the glory of God. Jesus is the treasure that we have in jars of clay. Jesus is the treasure of the kingdom. He brings the kingdom, and therefore he is the king, and therefore he himself is the treasure. We just sang a song, and we're going to sing it again, about he, he's worth it all. It is worth it all. And it, it says in that very sense that we should give up everything to gain him. He is our treasure. That is the point. Jesus and his gospel, what he did for us, who he is, the fact that he is the perfect God-man who came to this earth to die for our sins, to rise again to prove that he had power over sin and death, and that he's waiting for us one day to come back and set up his kingdom physically. But in the midst of all that time, we receive him and we trust him. We look to his words. We receive him, receive his words, and bear fruit in this time. And as we do that, that is the treasure that we hold on to. So find this treasure if you haven't already. Find the treasure of Jesus Christ. And if you're rejecting the treasure, then know that it's going to lead to a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't wait any longer, but trust Jesus and what he says so that you will be transferred out from uh, the kingdom of darkness, as the Bible tells us, and transferred into the kingdom of light. 
into the true kingdom that brings true love, life, instead of the false kingdom that brings only destruction, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Indeed, we actually see, as some find the treasure and share the treasure and some reject it, I want to look a little deeper at this for just a second, and we're going to see that Jesus gave all to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. So if we're going to be called to give up everything, to give up everything that's behind us, to give up the kingdom of this world for the kingdom of heaven, then we should have an example to follow, and we do. Jesus himself did this. In a very real sense, as we look at these parables, and some people have done this, and I don't know for sure what Jesus is actually saying this, but it does make some sense. Now, these first couple parables about the kingdom of heaven like a treasure, kingdom of heaven like a pearl, and then somebody gives up everything in order to possess that kingdom, Jesus set the example of that. Even if he wasn't talking about himself here, we know he set the example of that. Let's look to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This verse 2 shows us, Remember the treasure, right? The guy finds the treasure and in joy he sells everything to receive the treasure. Well, what does Jesus do here? He sees the kingdom come through, coming through his death, through the cross. He knows that he has, he has brought the kingdom and it's going to happen through his death and his resurrection. And he's looking at it and we say, looking to Jesus. When we live this life, when we're running the race of this life, we look to Jesus, who is the one who gives us faith, who is the one who's going to come back and, and finish everything with our faith. He is, and he did all that he did for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Listen, it wasn't a joyful feeling to die on the cross. He was beaten, mutilated, humiliated, and killed on the cross. That was not a joyful feeling. That was not a happy feeling, I'll put it that way. It's not as if he's like, oh, yay, this is great. I really love getting whipped. No, that's not the point. The point is, he had a, what was his joy? His joy was he knew what was coming on the other end. So it was worth giving his very life on the cross to die the worst death anybody pretty much has ever died. Well, yeah, the worst death that anyone has ever died because he not only experienced the physical pain of death, but the spiritual separation between him and God at that moment when he took on the sin of all the world. And Jesus died the worst death of anyone in all of history. And he did that because he knew what was on the other side, that resurrection was coming, that he was going to bring new life, that he was going to bring transformation to the people who will follow him. And he knew that it was worth it. And he had joy in knowing that even though he was going to the worst of the worst, it was for the best of the best. Jesus is our example. So let us follow him. First of all, you need to receive that treasure. You need to receive the fact that he died and rose again for you to be forgiven of your sins so that you could live a life of receiving him and bearing fruit. He says you can do that as you receive and trust me. Look to me through the race of this life. Don't look to the things that are trying to say that they'll bring relief. You look straight ahead and you look at Jesus because he has set an example that he has sacrificed himself, everything. He gave up everything to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and he did that for us and so therefore we follow his example. And indeed he is now seated at the right hand of God. That's the other side. He saw the other side and he went through what he had to go through to get to the other side. And I would say the truth is also there for us which is my final point this morning. We must also, just as Jesus, we must also 
And I use this quote from Jim Elliott. I know it's adjusted a little bit. But give what we cannot gain to gain what we cannot lose. This was what Jim Elliott said when he went to the missions field and he ended up giving his very life. But, but I think this principle is seen throughout Scripture. We must also, just as Jesus did, give what we cannot gain to gain what we cannot lose. Give up everything to gain something better. That is the idea here. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Philippians 3, 7 through 12. This is, I know you're not necessarily supposed to have a favorite passage, but this is definitely one of mine. Philippians 3, 7 through 12. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Listen to that again. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We must be willing to give what we cannot gain to gain what we cannot lose. Paul is very clear here. Everything doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Can I just encourage us all to not put the treasures of this world the kingdom of this world, in a place where it shouldn't be. We need to turn our back on that world, turn our back on that kingdom, and follow Jesus. It's worth it. Listen, a lot of people will say you have to sacrifice a lot to be a Christian. You have to sacrifice a lot to be a, a believer in Jesus, to follow Jesus. And Jesus did say you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. There is sacrifice. I'm not saying there's not. But the type of sacrifice that Jesus requires isn't really sacrifice because listen what we give up here what we're gaining is so much better and we don't need to feel guilty about that like oh man i just i just want to have good things from god well yeah god is the treasure and we should want him and we should want what's good and whatever we give up here we're going to get so much better there so why do we worry about the stuff of this life why do we live for the stuff of this life why when we're running the race of life do we stop on this on to get on the exits of the of the road instead of just going forward and following jesus because that's where the prize is jesus is the prize jesus is the treasure what philippians 3 says needs to be the calling of our life we need to be willing to give up everything because not because oh well we need to be a, a victim we need to be a martyr no that's not the point it's because by giving up everything we're getting everything we're get, it's it's amazing what jesus does he says i'm giving you everything all you need to do is give up what is temporary and what is Give up the trash, give up the rubbish, give up the dung is the word here. Give up all the poop of this world, sorry for my language. Get rid of all of it because Jesus is worth it. And with that being said, worship team, you should probably already come on up. I should have told you. Come on up. We're going to sing, you, it is worth it all again, worth it all again, one more time. And, and what I want to do is I, I want to encourage us. Listen, I know sometimes we sing because, hey, we just sing, right? Because the words are here, we sing, it's what we're used to. It's a church service, that's what you're supposed to do. Listen, the words that we're about to sing should be true. They should be true of all of us. And if it is true of you, I want you to sing your heart out. I want you to stand up. I want you to sing your heart out. Sing these words and actually mean them. But I would also challenge you, if you don't mean them, then don't sing them. 
And don't judge people who aren't singing them. But here's the point. If we're going to sing these words, let's mean them. Let's really know that Jesus is worth it all. No matter what we have to lose, it's worth gaining Jesus. That is what we see through the parable of the treasure, parable of great value, parable of the net, even in sharing that treasure. And let's not just hoard it, but let's share it with others. But right now, let's share it with each other. Right now, let's sing. Let's stand and sing worth it all.